Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Brand new 2019. Brand new. Brand (laughs) spanking baby New Year. Is that a thing? Baby New Year? Baby New Year. My sister. Your sister is Baby New Year? Would have been Baby New Year if my mom could have held in her labor for another two hours. Two hours. She was born on December 31st. And the doctors literally told her, like, just, 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 if you could just keep the baby in, you could, your baby could be on the newspaper. And my mom looked at them like they were crazy. Like, (laughs) like I have control of my body in this moment. And then had the baby on New Year's Eve. Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. That's why she also doesn't get any Christmas presents because it's too, any birthday presents. No birthday birthday presents because it's too close to christmas so does she get double christmas presents no what? i mean her parent my mom and dad get her presents obviously yeah but as brothers we were like oh, you're we, like eh, we, you know we, i just got we, you this christmas present you something. <laughs> take it easy sis okay well cool well um that has nothing at all to do with what we're the psalms doing today we're like we we're starting officially the psalms we started last week with jeff vanderstelt uh he yes. kind of Opened it up for us. We talked about gospel fluency. We talked about like some, I just loved that whole. Oh my gosh, podcast. dude! It was amazing. If you haven't listened to it, you should. You should definitely go back and listen you to last follow week's him episode. On Twitter. Follow Jeff Vanderstelt. He's a kind buy man. his books. He's amazing. After we went off air, he was just like pastoring us. He was just pastoring us. So it's just <laughs> after all, we got off by air, all of his things. <laughs> just he's amazing. It was so good. I was so encouraged by that. But today we're gonna start um, with Psalm one. Now, don't be deceived, my dear listener friends. We're not doing all 150 psalms. I don't know if that either brings you great relief or great despair, but I don't want to mislead you We're just going to be doing the kinds of psalms, right. the genres of psalms right. within the psalms. Yep. So psalm, like wisdom psalms, wisdom psalms Torah are today. psalms, yep. lament psalms, imprecatory psalms. Yep. So we have Thanksgiving eight, praise. We have eight, eight different of them. categories yep. of psalms that we'll yep. be doing over the next And they're broken weeks. down... You know, depending on who you read, people break them down either more generally or more specifically. Like some people have done like just lament, praise, and thanksgiving, I think is the three broadest categories, right? Yeah. And then then you can get super like granular with like this is an individual lament psalm of David. Yes. And that's like a category, a subgroup. But we're not getting that Granular. We just want to give you somewhere in between. <laughs> we want to give you a sense of the types of things that the psalm has to offer for Christians yep. as their as their book of prayer and their right. book of praise, and specifically how our lament, how our praise, how our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving points us back to and sees sees Jesus more right. clearly. Yep. So that's the goal. Yep. And so we're going to do that by giving you eight different genres, but also working through them canon in canonical order. Right. Yeah, so what you need to know is that the Psalms are broken up into five individual books. Right, which is significant. Which is significant, and they kind of track over the history of Israel. Yep. So book one is Psalm 1 to 41, and it charts David's rise to power, 
normally through some degree of affliction and suffering. Think about Saul chasing him oh, yeah, in the wilderness. Right. Yep. Book two is Psalm 42 to 72, and it's David's reign to Solomon, some of the golden years. The golden uh, years. The golden years mm. of Israel. And then book three is Psalm 73 to 89, which is Solomon to the destruction of the temple. The not-so-golden years. The not-so-golden years. Some of the golden <laughs> the bro- years. The bronze years. But it's just the, da- the slow downfall of the kingdom of Israel. Book four is Psalm 90 to 106, and that is um, so like, like ex- exile. exile yeah. it's, like, it's like exilic reflections right. on Yahweh's past deliverance, Right. what God did previously to Israel. Is there a lot of Asaph there? There is, okay. yeah. And you also start, so in the beginning of the Psalms, you have all of David's Psalms like front-loaded, right. and you those trickle off the further you, oh, get, I see. you okay. get into it. And then, and then f- book five? Book five is, base, is hope in Yahweh's future deliverance. Okay, and that and at the end... There's all those Thanksgiving psalms yes. and, and everything like that. And and am I right? I'm, I'm trying to remember because I think you looked at this more than I did. But at the end of each book, except for book five, each book ends in a doxology. Yeah, there's right? a really similar refrain at the end of each book, which is essentially praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for all of his works and all that he's done. Like, yeah. There's this psalm. And if you read in your Bible, it's going to show you book one, book right. two, book three. Is gonna... This isn't something that we're just like, you have to like see through the lines. It's very like intentional and obvious. And it's also part of the original text itself. Right. It divides it itself according to these books. Right. So there's been a lot of scholarly debate about how do you actually, what's actually important about the five books. Right. But. Well, I think something that is important for us to note right off the top with the five books that will also inform our reading of, we're doing Torah or wisdom Psalms today in Psalm 1. But what's interesting to point out is that I think everyone agrees that the five books of the Psalter echo and mirror the five books of the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? The first five books yep. of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's like that was the that was the Bible of the Old Testament people. You know, that's the core and crux of their sacred scriptures. And the Psalms mirror that, right? Yeah, these okay. are the king's reflections, Israel's reflections on Yahweh's faithfulness. Right. And so we're about to read Psalm 1. And we'll just read the whole thing. It's only six verses. Yep. And it's an explanation of the centrality of the Torah for the good and blessed life. Yep. So it make and it acts as an introduction to the entire Psalter. So it's introducing us right. the good life is one based on the Torah. So it makes sense that the five books of the Psalms relate to the five books of the Torah. Right. That's, yeah. that's the yeah, and so it's uh, and another thing that most people agree on with Psalm one is that it has been placed here along with probably the second one. There's no superscription, so there's no author. Uh, we're not told that this is a Psalm of David or anything, uh, because it actually is meant to act as a preface, an introduction to the whole Psalter. Um, and, and interestingly, um, that's why um, in, in I think it's in Acts or somewhere in the New Testament they reference the second Psalm, what we know as Psalm two. They quote it. But they say in the first Psalm, yeah. but they're actually quoting Psalm 2. And the reason for that is because Psalm 1 wasn't really Psalm 1. It was the preface, and you don't count the preface as chapter 1. Yeah. yeah. And so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, and we'll talk about this next week when we talk about We're Psalm gonna 2. We're going to Psalm 2 next week, yeah. And how these two are meant to be read together. Yes. And how the vision of the good life that is grounded in the reading of God's word and God's Torah is meant to be exemplified by the leader and king of God's people. The king mm. of God's people is supposed to exemplify and be this 
messianic figure for the people of Israel. He's supposed to be the exemplary Israelite, right. the one who does the law perfectly yeah. for Israel. But then we see, as we see <laughs> in the shape of the Psalter, as you've already outlined, that fails. That fails. Yeah. There's a there's the decline out of the monarchy, David's moral failures. You know, later on he'll talk a lot about like, oh, forgive me for I've sinned, you know, blot up my iniquity, and now then they're in exile, and then there's hope for future return. So this this perfect leader, this perfect king isn't here. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you open up the salt Psalms and you read Psalm one and Psalm two, and what you see is the vision of the good life and the vision of the good king. The hope for Israel as they open up the Psalter and they read back into the Old Testament is that if I ground my life on the word, and if there's a king who lives up to the expectations and commands of the word, we will be like trees mm. planted by rivers of uh, rivers of running water, yeah. fruitful and good and healthy, like we're back in the Garden of Eden, which we'll talk about, we'll talk in, just about a that. Si- okay. in a second. Yeah. So that's what's happening right here. All right. Well, let's jump in and read Psalm 1. Okay. So Psalm 1, I'm going to read out of the ESV here, says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So let's talk about those two verses. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's, let's talk about there. those two verses. Okay. So what, when you're reading this, what do you notice? Well, I mean, right off the bat, I noticed the word blessed. Blessed. Like, right, which is a weird word that, I mean, hashtag blessed. Like, it's been, <laughs> it's been like really used loosely uh i think of it like uh oh man you know i'm just i'm just blessed you know like people use it like that people use it often for like monetary like to reference things that are monetary oh we just i'm so rich i'm so so rich i'm so blessed like god's really blessed me financially like so it's it's a loaded term for a lot of people but i know that a lot of translations use uh, translate this word happy happy is the man happy is the man so it's it's this it's this life of of peace with God, contentment with him, relationship with him, probably characterized by the Hebrew idea of shalom, peace, relationship, peace, right. covenant, covenant peace with God. Um, so, that I mean, that jumps off the page right away for yeah. me. What about you? I think, well, I noticed the phrases walks, stands, and sits. Yeah, super interesting. So he's like, blessed is a man who walks not. Right, who doesn't the ca- do these three things. Who doesn't do these three things. Right. And he's walking, standing, and sitting. So there's this type of over-familiarity with the ways of evil. There's this standing, placing yourself near, observing, uh, being a party to, uh, like taking notes on the way of the world. And then also sitting in the seat of scoffers, like making yourself comfortable with cynicism and skepticism about God. It's like a progression. It's like, like, oh, I kind of like walked through that life, right? And then, yeah. and then I kind of stopped in the dead center of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of comfy. Maybe I'll stand here for a bit." And then eventually, you just plop down, and that's where you live now. Oh, I hadn't thought about. Yeah, it. it's yeah. like passing through, stopping, and planting. I was thinking about the opposite. I was thinking walking is the one that's like this habitual oh, pattern, yeah. of continuing. I think, I think it's even mirrored in uh, wicked sinners and scoffers. Is kind of a little difficult for us to see a progression, but um, I, I read that, that like wicked is is more about like is it's less of a loaded term than we have. It, yeah. It's more of like the, the troublemakers, troublemakers, mischief makers. Yeah, and then hooligans, and then sinners are those who um, have made a, a habit of sinning, right? So they're sinning intentionally. But then scoffers are those who sin for the point of mm. scoffing at those who would try to follow God's law. And so they're actually their sin is anti, like antithetical towards your righteousness. Right. So it's actually a progression 
of like who you're hanging out with too. So it's like, don't just walk through the camps of the mischief makers, right? Don't stop and stand with people who have made a habit of sinning and don't just plant down with those who um, are mm-hmm. completely opposed to God. And like, and I think the, the idea here is that one leads to the other. That like, okay. if you walk among the wicked, that will lead to you standing among the sinners. And if you do that, that will lead you to sitting with the scoffers. Basically, you become what you behold. You you take on that which you are around, right? Which will then see, like, the antidote to that is his delight right. is in the law of the Lord. So don't... Don't don't walk through wickedness and sit and stand with sinners and sit with scoffers. Sit, walk, and stand in the law of God. Right. Spend time yeah. with Him. Like that's, meditate on His law. Right, day and night. Don't meditate on the cynicism right. of skeptics. Yep. Don't spend time with sinful people and what they enjoy doing. Don't even really entertain or walk by. Like, have you ever done that thing where you're just like, I just want to like. Just want to like see it. I just want to see it. Yeah. Like I know there's like if there's like a TV show on Netflix or Amazon and it's yeah. probably not the best. Like I'll scrub over it to make sure there's nothing inappropriate. Right. Like on the thing, but it's like it's, that's kind of like what he's saying here. Don't like you don't look for trouble. You don't need to do right. that. You can just turn it off. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the key word here in this text is delight. Like his the disposition of his will and his heart is enjoyment of the things of God because people go to wickedness and sin and all these things because they think that will bring them joy, right? Delight, right. it will give them what they yeah. want people in life. People enjoy their skeptical outlook. Right, like. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and people think that wickedness and sin will, will bring peace and happiness to them, right? And yes. so he says, no, 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 no. Like what you need is to delight in God's law, right? So let, we should probably unpack that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so like there's this way of sinners, the counsel of the wicked, there's this seat of like judgment or I think seat is supposed to imply like judgment or power Mm. so there's this idea that there's these ruling forces these ruling ways of life there's this way to live there's this path that you could walk down there's this vein of knowledge you could go in and meditate on and enjoy and become um uh proficient in oh sure but there is a better way of living right it is delighting making your home in abiding in habitualizing yourself with the law of god and meditating on it day and night not meditating on the right on the, the stuff of, I, i'm just really interested in what you just said because like it's this whole idea of um when we live in the world and, and attune ourselves to the way of the world it is a like an opposite torah like it's like the, yeah. it's like the the antithesis of the Torah, right? I'm trying to think of a, a, like, of a, of a there's the book the of Arch Torah, the Arch Torah, yeah. It's like it's like, and we think about that. We are very proficient in some of the things of this world. We're very good at some people, are really good at lying, yeah. right? Like some people are very good at like um at gossiping behind other people's backs and manipulating people to make them do certain things and like we become accustomed to those things yeah. and we can swim in that water and we spend so much time meditating on not that culture's bad right i don't want to demonize right. that but what i'm saying is we we spend a lot of time swimming in the water of culture and of of wickedness and of sin and of things like that that we've become fluent in it right um and it's like yeah but what like can you quote Romans 8 or, right. or, you know, or Genesis 1? So let's look at it a little more practical. Okay. I think yep. most of us don't see ourselves as loving sin. We don't right. love gossip. We're not like super into, like we don't see ourselves that right. way. Until you do it and then you look at yourself, you're like, oh, I totally do oh, love I this. Totally do. Yeah. But anyway, yes. But well, I think, yeah. I think one of the ways that we sometimes try to, we justify our cynicism, we justify our anti-Torah narratives by disguising them 
as righteousness, descri- the disguising them as the right way to think about right. things. Right, which is which is ironic because like the Torah is the righteousness of God. Like it's right. like this is how you live right. And so we so actually what you're saying is like to identify our arch Torahs, we don't necessarily need to look at like what's classically sin. We need to look at what we would call our own righteousness. That's right. Okay. What do we think is the right way to view the world? Okay. That's so interesting. A, re- a really simple example would be the Torah gives us a really uh, a, a, a blueprint of what true leaders should look like. Okay. How? Right? So in Deuteronomy, it tells us that the kings of Israel are supposed to have their own copy of the Torah. Oh, right. And they're they supposed have, to at least read it once a year or something like read that? Read it once a year. Yeah. They have a hand copy themselves. They're supposed to meditate on it day and night. Right. They're supposed to have this. They're supposed to be led by the Torah. Yep. Right? Okay. And the people are supposed to respect and honor right. the king or the ruler. Because ultimately, God's their king or ruler. And, and they said, everything the Lord's spoken, we will do. Like, right. There's this covenant partnership of the Torah. We're going to live and by God it. places rulers, and we know that okay. from Romans, right? Okay. So like I'm, I'm tracking with you. So there's this sense, like there's the Torah, the Bible has given us a sense of what how Christians are to react towards leadership. Okay, yep. But one thing that millennials do, like people like us, like us. is that we see the political process uh-huh. as it's happened over the course of the last two couple of years. Oh, boy. We see the partisanship on both sides. Yep. And what we say is the right way to view this is to pull out of the political process entirely. Right. It's all broken. It's all broken, and we are profoundly cynical. Yeah. We trust nobody, and probably a lot of us don't even vote because we say, actually, there's no room for Christians in this at all. We have no—we should just—it's all broken. It's not worth our time. Right. But that's actually an unbiblical and anti-Torah narrative of how mm. the Lord sets up government. So that that is that's not about being political. Right. It's about— what do you think is the righteous way to view politics? Right. Yeah. Th- and, we're not saying like we're not we're not giving you a prescription on like you must vote or you must vote this way or like we're saying or, and we're not saying that politics aren't broken in America or we're anything saying, like that. Have you meditated on the Torah enough right. to have a biblical imagination yes. about government? What water are you swimming in? What water are you swimming yeah. in? Yeah, and because the same is true even if you're not in that middle camp of pull, you're pulled out and skeptical. The conservatives think that like voting Republican is the righteous way to like be Christian in America. Right, and, and they can't imagine a Christian ever voting Democrat. Right, and, and like that's their righteousness. They're not, but they're not doing that because they've meditated on the Torah. Or not, not everybody. I'm not saying everybody. No, no. I'm not saying that no good Christians vote Republican. That's not what right. I'm saying at all. It's saying that we can use our politics right. as a stand-in for trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, that our functional saviors become our cynicism, our conservatism, or, or our, our liberalism. liberalism. Yeah, and we say the only true way to be righteous. The true way to live a just and blessed life in this world is as you follow these political categories. Right. And that's not true. The blessed life is one that is meditating day and night, delighting in the law of the Lord, not the law of the land. So here's verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So let's unpack this. There we go. What's happening here? So who are we talking about? He, right? This is the man who's not walking with the wicked or standing with the sinners or sitting with the scoffers, but he's delighting in God's law. He's, He's rehearsing the Torah day and night. And we didn't talk about day and night. You know, that's a... 
uh, what's it called? A merism, merism, right? It's it's called a merism, which which is like a all encompassing term. So it doesn't mean like only only read the Bible in the morning, in the morning or evening. at night. It also doesn't mean what um, the Essenes out at Qumran, where the Dead Sea, sea Scrolls were found, they oh. took it literally to mean day and night as a merism, but took it literally meaning like. 24 hours a day, you have to always be doing this. So someone in their camp would always be reading the Torah out loud in the Essene community. Oh my gosh. So it's like, that's not what he means. It just means in all of life, from the rising to the setting of the sun and everything in between, you should be meditating on scripture. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's the person we're talking about, this person who's delighting in it. Maybe you should define meditating. Oh, okay. Sure. So uh, the Hebrew idea of meditating (laughs) is the idea of chewing. Um, yeah. Or repeating under your breath, and so it's not some kind of like Eastern like meditation where your goal is to empty your mind. Yeah, the idea is that you would fill your mind with Christian truth or with with biblical truth, I should say. Yeah, and so the idea is that you would repeat over and over again. So like he's like a tree planted by streams of water. He's like a tree planted by yeah. streams of water. I he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Like he is. He is. It's like this, a. Tree. Yeah, it's like the idea of chewing on the words, saying them over and over again, so and that it looks like you're chewing. In Hebrew, too, isn't it onomatopoeic? Havash. Havash. Isn't that the? Isn't it's supposed to like sound like this, an the animal or person chewing? chewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like it's this yeah. idea of like you're constantly mulling over. Your imagination is being formed by. Right. You're filtering your reality through yeah. the categories of scripture. Right. And that, and and we also, and I also just want to say, as we as we're doing that, and that leads to delight in the heart. So it's yeah. like it's not only an intellectual pursuit, but you are delighting in the truth of God in your heart. You love the Word of God. Right. So like we're talking about Torah Psalms here, right? Yeah. We're talking about wisdom or Torah Psalms. Um, Psalm one nineteen is like the quintessential Torah Psalm. Uh, it's the right. it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and every single verse talks about the law of God or the commands of God, right? And over and over again, he talks how about how he loves God's word, like yeah. how he delights in it. It's sweeter than honeycomb. It's better than gold. Like those are the words of someone who stinking delights <laughs> in God's word. And so like- And think about the yeah. difference between that type of meditation and like Eastern meditation mm. where the purpose is to empty your mind right. of content, yep. empty your mind of filters, and not to experience delight, but to experience emptiness. Yeah, yeah, absence, like to, like to where you are neither- joyful nor in pain you're like it's nirvana is that middle place people think of nirvana as like this ultimate great experience it's not it's like it's perfect neutrality perfect neutrality perfect disconnectedness yes like perfectly disconnected from all things so you're hurt by nothing that's right yeah torah meditation is the exact opposite is fill your mind with the categories the words the the psalms the The books the stories of scripture so much so that your heart bursts with delight yeah and yeah, I know we keep we we started this section with, with verse three. We keep going back, but I also want to like to to talk about his delight is in the law of the Lord. So that the word law is the word Torah. Okay, so does that mean in the Torah Psalms when he says like, "Oh God, I delight in your in your words." So when people read these Psalms, like, does that mean like? only the Ten Commandments or only right. what God commanded in Leviticus? Like, am I just supposed to read about the long lobe of the liver over and over again and just feel such delight for that? I or, think or is that term more expansive? It's more expansive. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> because you, you should find delight in God's commandments. Definitely. But Torah is also the first five books of the Bible, yes. which includes narrative, story, The story of like their poems. redemption out of, out of yes. Exodus. Yeah. It also just means instruction. Right. 
So all that God instructs yes. should bring delight to our yeah. heart. And all that God has done, because he instructs yes. us on what he has done. Yeah. So for Christians today, that means all of the Bible right. is included in this, yes. and all God's faithfulness to you in this life. Right. So David, throughout the Psalms, mm. he's not meditating always on a particular piece of scripture. That's true. He's meditating on how God was faithful to him mm. when he was on the run for right. Saul. He's faithful to you him. You delivered me from the hand of yes. the enemy. You were merciful to me when I sinned yeah. against Bathsheba. Oh, like He's meditating on God's right. faithfulness and actions to him in his own life. Wow, that's really cool. I like that. We're going to bleed into Thanksgiving Psalms if we're not careful there. But yes, that's really, really good. And the idea is when you do this, when you meditate on God's instructions in his word, in your life, in Jesus Christ, yes. you become like a tree yeah. planted by streams of water, right. yielding its fruit in season. So I love that. So tr- a tree planted by streams of water. Um, the, I mean, obviously, the, let's just lay it out there because I'm not going to assume that everybody is like a you know a botany expert or something. So the the good news for a tree planted by streams of water is that it has a constant source of nourishment, right? That's right. It doesn't have to worry about drought or anything. It's constantly being fed what it needs. Uh, it's just right there on the riverbank soaking up its nourishment um, second by second, right? Right. Uh, all day and all night, That using that merism from yeah, before, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that's the good news for this tree is that it's planted by streams of water. What's really interesting here though is it's not he is like a tree who plants himself by a stream of water right right it's he has been planted he's planted there which like immediately throws me back to genesis 1 right or or is it 2 that 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 it says that god planted a garden in eden like it's you should be reading eden into this passage yeah the tree planted by the tree planted by streams of water should bring you back to eden where there's all these trees fed by the four rivers, the four rivers. running through it. Yep. It should also bring your mind to Ezekiel 47, where out of the temple of the Lord floods these rivers right. and makes the desert bloom. Yep. And then also it should bring you to Revelation 22, yep. where out of the temple of the Lord, rivers of running water come and sprout trees for the healing of the nations. Yeah. You should be reading here, Eden. Right. Why? What does that do for us? Like, why is that important? What, what would what would the psalmist here be trying to communicate in evoking all this Edenic imagery of getting back to the garden with God? He's saying when you orient your life around the Torah, yeah. when your imagination is shaped by and processes through the imagery and the stories of God's instruction, your life becomes as it was meant to be. Mm. Eden oh, is the okay. world as yeah. it was intended to be. You your oh. life takes on the shape of Eden. God's kingdom comes. That's really good. So into it's like yeah, so it's like whereas like we're talking about the arch Torah, which yes. is gonna form you into the image of the broken world, right? In right. the fall. The Torah like reorients you into God's perfect order of creation. It brings you back under the dominion of God where you can walk with him and everything's put right. Yes. That's stinking amazing and not just the world but you as a human being Mm. become who you're meant to be like you become refreshed watered nurtured you're bearing your fruit in that season which is kind of a a strange it's a weird one for us but i think so here's just a personal example i've been i was running the other day and i was just praying yeah and um i just it's uh, it's i was just thinking like about expectation and the things in my life that are yet to be finished, but have already be- like already started, but not so, yet here. Not yet here. So yeah. like I'm already like in the process of hopefully publishing a book maybe right. one day, but I've not yet received an off- 
offer. Like uh, my wife is already pregnant, but I've not yet met my baby girl right. coming in yeah. March. Like I've already, um, you know, even, like my son has already been resurrected, right. but I'm not yet with him. Yeah. And even with my job, I feel like the Lord is giving me all these new callings and desires, but they're not yet put into fruition. Right. And I think the promise is that when you meditate on God's law, cultivate an imagination that's shaped by his instruction, you will bear fruit, mm. you will be mature, you will taste what you most are were created for right. in its in season. Its season. And, and the At co- the right time. And in, in, in between parts, it says that its leaf never withers. Yeah. So you're still healthy, right? You're still putting forth your leaves, showing that like signs of health. You're not only... Um, healthy and happy in the harvest season right. when everything's actually coming about whenever the not yet's become already. Yeah. You know, like you're always healthy. You're like always showing healthy. your showing your leaves. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, and I, I thought about Jesus here too. Like one of the things that we should probably be seeing is so it's he is like a tree. Yeah. And I think we'll talk a little bit about this next week. Psalm one and two being read together. This is a picture of the perfect messianic king of Israel. This, is, this should be what David and what Solomon are like, but right. fail to be. Yes, like what you talked about earlier. It's like yeah. the whole Psalm sh- are, are showing us this perfect ruler that we didn't get. And it's like, who is this perfect one here then? Right, right? Yeah, yeah. and so I think you can see Jesus in here. Definitely. J- John 1, 1. The word yeah. became flesh and dwelt among us. And so I was even meditating on Jesus's own life. He spent his entire childhood studying the Torah. Mm. He spends days away from his parents at the foot of the, uh, at the, of the rabbis in the right. synagogue. Yeah. The parents are looking for him. So on the day before, after he's baptized, he goes in the wilderness and Satan tempts him before he begins his ministry. He's tempted. And how does he respond? With scripture, saturated, meditating on day and night in the word. And then he begins his ministry in its season. Yeah. He was 30 something years old right. when he started his ministry. He, the fruitfulness of his ministry began in its season. And even in his death, he prospered. Mm. His leaves did not wither, even though he was a man marked by sorrows. Yeah. And even death prospered. That's really Not good. just him, but all of us. Yeah. And what's amazing is that this perfect blessed man who doesn't walk in wickedness or sinners or scoffers, who delights perfectly in the law, who yields its fruit in season, who stays by the stream of the water, all these things, like we've we we can aspire to that and and like we can be that. Like that's the promise of God. But Jesus was it perfectly. Like he was the perfect blessed man of Psalm one. Yes. And what's amazing about and that he is your ruler. Yeah. He yeah, and he's your ruler. Uh, and, and like, but what's so cool about it is that like, he's also your stream. Like he's the one yeah. by whom you're planted and next to like, he's the thing that you like sustains you and feeds you. Like, I just think it's amazing. Like he's not only the blessed man, he's also the stream. Yeah. He's like, not just the king making Eden around you. Right. He's the stream feeding you, making mm. you a fruitful tree. Right. Right. So yeah. those are those two things like God's kingdom, his Eden being brought to earth through our meditation on the word. He's also the stream fulfilling and bearing fruit for the healing of your own soul and the souls of the nations around you. Amazing. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we'll talk about the wicked Wicked. next. All right, so let's uh, let's dive in here to the last section and talk about the wicked. And so, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we have here 
two sets of people, right? We have the 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 righteous and the wicked, which um, should remind us again. If he's already talking about the Torah, this is a wisdom psalm. All these things that we've talked about. This should remind us of the book of Deuteronomy, which yeah. is like I've set before you life and death, right? Blessing and curse. You know, you can be wicked or righteous. It's like very Torah yeah. type language here. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. two sets of people in the world, which is an uncomfortable idea for a lot of moderns to think that there's there's only two types of people in the world. <laughs> like there's the wicked and the righteous. It's like and the gray area, right? Right. Like I mean, I want there to be some gray area, <laughs> but if someone's not that lenient on us here. So like what should we be thinking about when we start reading about the wicked? Like what are our categories for them? Well, you keep talking about the arch Torah, the oh, anti-Torah. Yep, yep. You should just be thinking like, so what's the opposite of Eden? Mm. What so if Eden is what people who meditate on the day uh, on the Lord yep. and His Word day and night, yep. what is the opposite of Eden? What does that look like? If the if a person reading Scripture is a tree, what is the opposite of a tree? It's chaff. Oh, right. Something that's yeah. immovable. You can't take up easily. Chaff is the opposite. I don't know if you've ever like gone to like a, a reed or something, like like in a pond or oh, no, or, I a, or a dandelion. Oh like, yeah, dandelion. Most people don't like have like access to chaff. Yeah. If you like, to, if you crush wheat, there's all this like skin left over that just falls apart. It just falls apart. It's like the bottom of a popcorn bowl. There's little bits of like oh, popcorn flakings. Dust. Yeah. And so it's like it's this, this just worthless thing that just blows away at the right. slightest touch. And so uh. if. If the man who meditates in the Torah is solid, immovable, planted by streams yep. ever growing, the wicked person wastes away. Right. Is that was that uh, James that talks about being tossed to and fro by every yep, wind and wave, every uh, new doctrine, yeah, every new right. thought, every new philosophy? It's like, oh, I guess I'll believe that now, or I guess right. I'll compromise this or that moral, or um, oh, I guess that's actually not that bad anymore. I mean, culture says it's not a sin or that it's not wrong, so it must not be wrong. I'll right. just accept whatever the world is telling me instead of grounding myself right. in the commands of God. Yeah. So okay. if you're not that, if you're yep. if you're not grounded in that, if you're just wasting away, you're flying to and fro, you're right. just being directed by whatever cultural wind comes along. Yep. Here's the you. Therefore, you will not stand in oh, the judgment because you're blown away. You're blown away. Right. You, you you have nothing tethering you. You yeah. have no stream of life. Oh, interesting. Building you up. You have no trunk right. rooting you in the keeping you solid right like you have nothing to hold on to in the judgment you have no substance in yourself yeah. when the day of judgment comes because it's not only um like stick to or like f- like you know being fixed in a spot that that this tree by a river evokes right. that's opposite in chaff it's also it, chaff is dead right it doesn't have any yeah, yeah, life yeah. to it. It's no. like the, the it's the throwaway. Right. Right. So it's like the tree is nourished. It has life. It's vibrant. It has leaves and fruit. Chaff is like it rubs off and blows away and it's dead. Right. So it's also like that which you might think has life, right? Like, uh, you know, in the way of scoffers and the yeah. seed of sinners and all those things, all the wickedness in the world, you think that gives you life, but actually it's like the husk of life and it's just death. Yes. Yeah. And so you imagine too, like, so the law of the Lord is what protects you from judgment. It's what provides you life. It provides you protection. Right. And so if you're not following that, all that's left for you is judgment. Mm-hmm. If you have nothing to guide your life except your own desires and your own hopes and your own beliefs, right. you won't stand up to a God who holds you accountable to what his Torah says. Yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, obviously for us, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, right? Who protects us from judgment. Yes. Okay. Because like, 
Uh, and, and, and in every way, he's the f- fulfillment of the Torah, right? He loved it perfectly, right? He kept it perfectly, all the moral commands he kept. But then he also fulfilled what the Torah prescribed in terms of like sacrifices and how to make ourselves right with God because he didn't offer a sacrificial lamb. As he, wasn't. he was the sacrificial yeah. lamb. So he fulfilled every part of the Torah. So that way, when we stand before the judgment of God, our one plea is like, well, I'm covered by Christ. Right. Like it's his righteousness that's mine. Like he's the stream by which I'm planted. Like, yes. And I'll never be uprooted. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So answer this then. Okay. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Oh, I would. I was because like congregation of righteous, I automatically think congregation. I think church. Sure. So, but that doesn't seem to fit I, well, here. Yeah, yeah. I think like congregation. So I want sinners in my church. You right. know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that like uh, I'm. A, I don't know if this is the answer. But I'm immediately brought back to um, the Torah and um, uh, the congregation of the people in the Torah is the people of Israel, right? And what happens to sinners in the midst of the people when they sin? They're cast out, right? They're put outside the city. They're exiled. They're yeah. exiled. And that either means for a period of time for their until they are ritually clean again, right? Or they're put out indefinitely, depending on the the severity of their sin, like uh, if right. you're a murderer or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so it like, even happens to the entire nation of Israel in right, Babylon. Eventually, they're all cast yeah. out. The, the entire congregation is cast out of the congregation. Because, yeah, <laughs> the congregation because can't there's stand no the one righteous, not one. <laughs> right? Yeah, which is really interesting. And so, but I think there's also this idea of, um, I, I think we think that if there was a roll call of the righteous, you know, most of us think we would be able to stand up and go like, oh yeah, like I'm I'm a good person, like I could stand uh, up under that call. Right, and it's like no, you can't. Like no one will be able to stand up under the the call of the righteous. Are you good enough? Yeah. When on the last day, and you were supposed to weigh your good deeds versus your bad <laughs> deeds, and says, "Have you passed the test?" Right. The answer is always no. Yeah. Right. But but here we seem to have like a way to get a yes, right? That we can stand in the judgment. That we can stand the congregation of the righteous. How? Because verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous oh but which you would expect it to say that the righteous know the way of the lord right that's really interesting i was really confused by this for a second so i was trying to i'm still trying to process a little bit the reason we can stand is because the lord knows our way our way huh and so i the word knows is kind of a loaded term very loaded in the old testament super relate it can mean sex it can mean sex it it, it, it indicates love intimacy intimacy yep so the commitment. Re- so the yep. reason that we can stand is not just because the Lord knows that we exist. Right. It's because He loves mm. the way of the righteous. Right. He loves righteous people walking in His way. Yeah. And there's a special type of love that Im- implies commitment. Mm. Like, because sex implies commitment. Right. So like, there's there's this sense that like the Lord, the reason why we can stand is because there's this type of covenant knowledge, yes. this covenant love towards those who keep his law. So our the reason we stand is not because we keep the law, right. but because the Lord knows and loves those that do keep his law. Mm. So I was trying to, I'm trying to process that yeah. in my mind. But I mean, it, it's like the Torah says, you know, it, it talks a lot about like, um, if you obey my commands and keep my statutes, I will be with you. I will protect you. You will be my people. I will be your God, all that kind of stuff. And so it, it makes sense that like this person who is meditating on God's law, who loves it, who keeps it, who, who stays away from sin and all this stuff, uh, God knows him and protects him and plants him by a stream of water. 
my question here is how does this not turn into legalism? Like, how does this not make everybody just go like, oh, so this is works-based salvation? It just sounds like, it sounds like works-based salvation. If I, if I read the Bible enough, if I meditate on it enough, if I stay away from sin enough, right, if I plant myself next to the stream enough, then I'll be able to stand in judgment. Well, that means you just don't know your Torah. <laughs> right. Because did God love, know, and care for Adam and Eve before or after he created them? Before. Before. Did God know, love, and care for the people of Israel before or after he made a covenant at Sinai? Before. Jacob too. Jacob yeah, in the, the womb. The, Abraham. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like there's not one character in the Bible who does good and righteous deeds that God did not love beforehand. Right. He knew them first and then showed them favor and then they obeyed his commands. Yes. Right. And and like and it was God that was involved in that process. So the way that you prevent this from becoming legalism is remembering that the Lord loves you and has made a covenant with you and he's sworn to his own hurt. Like made a promise at the cost of himself. Right. And ultimately that's seen in Jesus. Yes. We see God's love to us, not in the fact that he, we see God's love to us in the fact that before we said yes to him, yeah. before we obeyed him, while we were yet sinners, yes. Christ died for us. Yeah. He made a covenant with us. He bled for us. And because he has already loved us, we obey. Right. Yeah, and, and the more that we meditate on that truth that you've just articulated day and night, the more our hearts will come to delight in that truth, delight in even not only that God died for us when we were yet sinners, but delight that then this God who died for us has commanded us to live a certain way. We'll actually want those things, and yes. our hearts will begin to change to delight in that which we used to abhor, not only God himself, but his commands and his statutes and his principles. Where we used to lack discipline to yeah. do the things we were supposed to do, we will wish we had the discipline to do them. Yes. Right? Like we will right. wish we had the discipline to wake up at six o'clock in the I morning. I want to want it. <laughs> and read my Bible. I, right. I wish I had the discipline that it would take for me to stop looking at porn. Like I right. wish I had those things. Mm-hmm. And you will take every effort and fiber of your being to be holy, not because. God will only love you when you become holy. Right, because that'll never stir up your affections enough. But because you've already yeah. been loved. Right. That's what I tell Sunny every time. I, your she's, daughter. She's six. Yep. And so whenever she disobeys us, I say, I tell her, Sunny, sin is so serious. Being disobedient to daddy is so serious. That's why Jesus had to die. Right. It's so serious that Jesus had to die. But he loves you and I love you so much. And just because you disobeyed doesn't mean I love you any less. But because I love you, you must obey. Mm. So I tell her that almost every time I put her in timeout right. or every time or at the end of timeout, whenever we do that, that's the truth. Like yep. we because love, I because I love you. That's really good. Okay. So we need to kind of tie a bow on this. The last line of the Psalm is a, is a super uh, positive note. Uh, the way of the wicked <laughs> will perish. Right. But notice like the Lord doesn't know them. Mm. And all, he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't know they don't exist or he's blind to them or anything like that. But there's, it's interesting that they're not parallels. I was expecting them to be parallels, mm. right? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but, but does, not, does know, not know the way of the wicked. But it's right. just, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's like that chaff again. It just blows away. I think it's pointing to the pointlessness right. of evil. Oh, yeah. It's like, there's like, there's, it's it's pointless. It doesn't, it doesn't gain anything. It, it gains nothing. Yeah. Which we, not, we, we think it does. There's not a point for the Lord to love evil. There is a point in love, Lord loving the way of the righteous. Right. Because it actually ends in ca- something. Because it ends in something. Right. But there's not even a point in God wasting his affection on 
wickedness. On wickedness, uh, he, so, he loves. He, he has. He only has ever loved wicked people. Right. But his love on them makes them righteous. We've talked about that already. Yes. But those who continue in wickedness, who who just continue to persist in the wickedness, it just God perishes. will not waste his affection on things that will not bring them life. Right. And he's saying, if you choose to spend your life on wickedness, yeah. you'll waste your life. Mm. You will waste your affection. You will waste your love. You will waste your time. Yeah. Spend it on things that bring true delight. It just, it seems so counterintuitive because it's, uh, we, we often think about like, you know, live life to the fullest and carpe diem and like, uh, I want, I'm like, I can knock things off my bucket list. And it's like, these are all things that the world brings, right? right? Like, uh, those are the things that are going to make me satisfied and have a yeah. full life. Oh, he lived a full life. Like, what does that mean? It, like, I think what this psalm is teaching really simply yeah. is that if you want to define what the good life is for yourself, mm-hmm. you'll waste your entire life. Wow. Yeah. If you want to live a blessed, full, permanent, thriving life, you live the way the Torah describes. Yeah. Now... One thing I have to push back on there, yeah, and I agree with you, but I think one thing that'll be helpful is um, it says that like in everything he does, this man prospers. Yeah, but we're gonna see really quickly as we go through the Psalms that like, you know, this is supposed to be David, you know, yeah, and it's like even when he before he like committed crazy sins, like not everything he did prospered in in terms of like went well for him. Like he was hiding in a cave and people sought his life and all this other stuff. And um, I just think about like how often people struggle to believe in God or his goodness because like, man, I, I'm trying to live a good life. I haven't done anything wrong and everything bad is happening to me. Like yeah. these promises must not be true. So like when it says everything that you do will prosper if you stay by the water, meditating on God's word, delighting in it and everything like that, why does it seem like things go bad for us even whenever we do that? Because that's not you. Because what's what? Huh, what? You are not the person who perfectly abides and mm. meditates on God's law day and night. This is the exemplary king who leads the people that this is describing. Right. And that king is King Jesus. And all things that Jesus did prospered. prospered. Nothing that he set his hand to do failed. Yeah. And all the blessings that are Jesus's, right. all the promises that he procured, are yes and amen for you when you place your trust in him. Right. Why does it not prosper for you? Because you're not Jesus. <laughs> they prospered for Jesus, and he promises that if you place your trust in him, everything will turn out to prospering. Right. Even if it doesn't mean in this life, yeah. it will prosper in the end. Yeah, but I mean, because even in Jesus, he was the perfect man, the perfect blessed man, and yet he was ridiculed, hated, murdered, like all these things. So I, I, I'm saying like, like life still doesn't go well for people who do everything right is what I'm right. saying. Like prosper here cannot mean categorically yes. right. cannot mean money, health, safety. It can't mean those things No, because if it, if it did, then God lied because it didn't happen to Jesus who yes. was this perfect man. So either God's a liar or prosperity doesn't mean uh, health, wealth, and safety. Like right. those two things can't go together. And so prosperity, what, what does it, what does it mean? It has to mean that like, just as pursuing wickedness and sin and your own good life perishes, whatever we think of being prosperous is equally as pointless as wickedness and sin. Like yeah. real, like real fruit in this life is not a, a padded bank account and you know, the ideal job and the hottest wife or husband and all these other right. things. It's like there's in a healthy, you know, perfect body, like that's not what prospering means. There's something better, and I think it is this relational language with God. 
yeah. that you're delighting in him, that you're meditating on what he's done, that like no matter what happens, you're planted by a stream of water and your leaves are out and yeah. you yield your fruit in its season and like you, you never perish. Think, like, of, yeah. think, think about Ecclesiastes. Okay. So Ecclesiastes is the book a book written by Solomon, yep. David's son. Yep. So David would have, as a good messianic king would have taught his son these lessons yeah this this very psalm this psalm would have been and like he he quotes his father in yeah. this song in yeah. ecclesiastes and what does solomon conclude mm. that the good life is it's yeah. not striving after pleasure no. or money or power. wisdom or power yep. it's knowing god yep keeping his commandments and eating drinking and enjoying yeah, enjoying your, your enjoying your work it's like whatever it is whatever it is yeah enjoy what you have and yep. trust God. Yeah. It's that's really true wisdom. Yes. And like that's, uh, and the Torah lays that out for us really well. Right. It's like, trust God and you'll come to the promised land and eat good food. Like that's, I mean, that's like the, that's like the good news of the Torah. Right. Yeah. And so like, what's amazing for us then the good, what's the good news of the gospel then for Christians here is that, is that like a Sabbath rest remains, the promised land remains, the offer remains for you. Jesus has purchased your entry to it. Trust that he's bought it for you. Come in, Dine with him, rest with him, meditate on what he's done for you, worship him, delight in him, and enjoy your life. Like, yeah. and you can't flip those. Like, you can't say like, "Oh, I will enjoy my life, and that will be me." Like, putting God in his proper place. You have to like, you have to right. keep those two in the right order. I think maybe a even simpler way to say it is, what is prospering? Mm. It's contentment. Yes. It's, yes. I think this is a lot about contentment here. It's like you bear fruit in its season. Yeah. So what does that mean? There's a lot of seasons that seem fruitless. Right. But you are content because you are living in, being nourished by the living water of Jesus Christ. What is true wisdom? What is the blessed life? Contentment in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.